Isaiah chapter 54, if you have your Bibles this evening, Isaiah 54. One of uh, the very first podcasts that I began to listen to that kind of got me hooked on podcasts is a podcast called How I Built This. And it's hosted by a guy named, a man named Guy Raj. And it's a very good podcast. He interviews entrepreneurs. He interviews different from, I've heard, mattress companies to yogurt companies. Uh, 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 what's the big one? Chibo- Chibotle or Chibotle? What is it? Did you know that was started in New York? Just north of Syracuse? It really was. Fascinating business. Uh, and he just does all sorts of them. And uh, if you want a good podcast every once in a while, he interviews. The language isn't always Christian, but it, most of the time it's pretty tame. But he's done everything and from uh, bread companies, like I said, just all sorts of tech companies, uh, hotels, and just different kinds of businesses. Just fascinating But what's very interesting, in almost every company you listen to, in almost every business, there's that point where they're going to expand the business, enlarge the business. They've got to take a risk. That if they're going to go from a regional to a national, they've got to take a risk. When Ben and Jerry's went from a local New England ice cream uh, uh, name to to national and eventually international, they had to take a risk. Enlargement is always a risk. It doesn't always work out. Some of you might have heard recently that the yellow trucking company filed for chapter uh, a 13 bankruptcy, which means they're closing their doors. Chapter 11, they get a chance to restructure. Chapter 13, they're saying no. They're blaming the unions. Uh, others are saying they expanded too quickly. Their method of expansion was simply to buy up small competitions. And now they're doing this, so be prepared in life for some uh, ch- uh, supply chain interruptions for the next few months as that works out. But in business, there's always that risk. But if you don't take the risk of enlargement, you get stuck. In the text we're going to read, God is challenging His people for enlargement. He's challenging them to make ready for what He plans to do and make that part of who they are. So I want to talk to you about enlargement. Isaiah 54, beginning in verse 1. Sing, O childless woman who has never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home, spare no expense. For soon you will be bursting at the seams. your descendants 
will occupy other nations and resettled ruined cities. Fear not, for no longer shall you live in shame, and you shall be in disgrace no more. Uh, for you will no longer remember the shame of your youth, nor the sorrow of your widowhood. In the New King James Version of Isaiah 54, um, it tells us that you enlarge the place, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out your curtains of your dwelling, do not spare, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. Anything that's going to grow has to prepare for growth. You have to prepare for it. If you have children, you have to prepare for their growth. It tells us in our text to enlarge. He's talking to a people who have been barren, a woman that has no children. It's very interesting if you just do a study on barrenness and women who were barren as they began to cry out to God. Out of them are five tremendous miracles of the Bible. There's the greatest promise, Isaac. There's the greatest family, Jacob. There's the greatest judge, Samuel. There's the strongest judge, Samson. And there's the greatest prophet, John the Baptist. All came out of a desperation of simply wanting something more than they were experiencing at the moment. God has put this in the hearts of men and women. There's something about uh, the desire to enlarge, the desire to grow, the desire to see more that is always there. There's people, uh, you know, if you talk to uh, business-minded people, they are, they're always thinking about expanding their business. How do I grow my business? God says you have to prepare for it, though. It doesn't just happen. There are occasional times where just a tweet, uh, some influencer all of a sudden takes somebody, some business into the ozone layer of expansion. But without proper uh, preparation, it never will succeed. In our text, it tells us in the New King James to stretch out your curtains, to prepare for enlargement. This has to do with the opening of, or the preparing of both physical and spiritually, that you're going to make preparation for more. Jesus tells the man, tells the parable of the man who builds more barns because his things prospered. And he doesn't condemn the man for that. He condemns the man because he made no provision for God. But it's not that he was doing bad things by expanding. Jesus, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees missed it. They missed it because they could not expand. They were trapped into their little legalism. They're trapped into their little mindset. Their little, you know, mentality that God couldn't do something that was beyond And they created a theology on how God can't move. 
small-minded people create theologies on why God can't move. Why God can't do something. Small-minded people, I can't, well, if I pray, nothing changes. If I give, nothing happens. If I outreach, nothing happens. That's a small-mindedness and dangerous because then it's no preparation for what God wants to do. First Chronicles 4 tells of, of a man named Jabez. And Jabez prays this prayer. He's, he's the one who prayed. This is verse 10. He's the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do. Keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. He's born Jabez, the son of the pain in the neck. Pain of my sorrows, pain, the painful child. That's what his name means. But he said, you know what? That's not my lot in life. I'm going to expand. Stretch the curtains. Make preparation for something greater. Lengthen your cords. This is your reach. Cords, of course, in a tent. We used to put up the tent. You had to put a lot in, in Prescott. You had to put a lot of cords around to hold up the tent. They would stick out from the tent. They would go beyond. This is the influence, the, the plan in our text. And we're going to look at it briefly uh, in a few moments. But it talks about that you'll inherit the nations and build up the waste places, the cities. Again, small mindsets never get out of that. They never look forward to revival. Simply lost in their own little world. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, we are, we are not reaching beyond the boundaries when we claim authority over you. As we had never visited you. For we first traveled... All the, uh, all the way to Corinth for the good news of Jesus Christ. Nor do we boast credit for the work that someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow in the boundaries of, uh, boundaries of our work among you will be extended. For we were able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you when no one else was wor- uh, working. There is a question, uh, there is no question of our boasting about the work that's someone else's territory. Here Paul says, I want to go to another territory. I want to reach in. Craig McLaughlin and I have what we refer to as the night. I can't tell you when it was exactly like date. I can tell you that we were roommates in the men's house. We had shut off the light one night, and we were just talking about the things of God. And he said, well, I said to him, well, you want to be an evangelist. You're always fascinated by evangelism. He's been an evangelist for many years now. He's fascinated. This is before either one of us had ever preached a sermon, before we were married, obviously, anything like that. And, and he says, yeah. And he goes, and you want to go to, you want to be a missionary. 
I said, you're right. I want to go into a land, a place where no one is preached, where no one from our fellowship is. And I had that privilege of doing it in two different nations, of having an opportunity of going, being a part of that, expanding, reaching into another area, another city, another soul, another part of the community. Lengthen your cords. Put it out. It's literally the thought of casting it as far as possible. This, is all, this scripture fascinates me. Romans 15, 20 through 26. It's a little long, but bear with me. He says, my ambition has always been to preach the gospel or the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. Rather, where the church is already started by someone else. I have followed my, the plan and spoken of the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. But now I've finished my work in these regions for all the, uh, uh, after all these long years, waiting eagerly to visit to you. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I've enjoyed the fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. It's very interesting. He's saying, I'm going to come, I'm going to take an offering, you're going to pay for me to go to Spain. Anyway, that's what he says. I will stop off in Rome. And so he says, but before I come, I must go to Jerusalem and take the gift to the believers there. For you see that in Macedonia and Achaia, they have eagerly taken up an offering among the poor for the believers in Jerusalem. It's very interesting here because he's naming four different areas. He's talking about Jerusalem, Macedonia, Archaea, which is kind of uh, modern-day southern Europe, uh, kind of next to Bulgaria and and, uh, the old Yugoslavia area. He's talking about going to Spain. He's talking about going uh, to Rome. And in this day, it wasn't like, hey, you just drop down to the Rochester airport and pick up a plane. These were travel, laborsome things that it would do. The word travel actually comes from the same Greek word travail. And it's, you know, it's not what it used to be. It's fascinating to me that you can go down to the Rochester airport and on commercial flights be anywhere in the world in 30 hours. Literally anywhere on this globe in 30 hours on commercial flights. Provided there's no weather or pilot's issues. But that's just fascinating to me. This was not Paul's day. These are not close. These are not easy travel. It's not like you just jump in the car or get on a plane or something like that. But he's talking about regions beyond Jerusalem, Spain, Roman, Rome, and Macedonia, Achaia. That he's saying, my vision is to do this. He says also in our text, to strengthen your stakes. This has to do with convictions. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, You are grounded and rooted in love. That there's something about driving home convictions. When we set up the bouncy house, you have to put in stakes. To drive them down so that it doesn't get a gust of wind and fly away with the kids. I don't think parents would. I think the kids might enjoy it, but I don't think the parents would. You have to drive down the stakes. Where are your convictions? 
Do you have a conviction on church? The assembling of yourselves together? Do you have a conviction on prayer? On witnessing? Giving? Fasting? Where are they in your life? Do you have convictions on them? Are they change, interchangeable depending on the circumstances of the moment? I'll pray if I have time. I'll read my Bible if I get around to it. I'll witness if God really deals with me about it. This is driving down the basics that hold us. You know, every sport will tell you you never get beyond the fundamentals. At the basketball tournament that we were holding, we had, you know, uh, three... I'm just going to say it. I don't mean to sound at all prejudiced or just an observation, but we had a team of three white guys. And they, one thing they, that some of the other teams were commenting on them is they knew their fundamentals. They made it to the final because of that. They knew their fundamentals. And other players noted that. They said, these guys are good because they have fundamentals. They played together in high school. You've got to work on your conviction. Where are your fundamentals of Christianity? The fundamentals of the Word of God. In our text, he talks about seeing the future now. Verse 3, it says, For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle ruined cities. The King James, For you shall expand at the right hand and the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make, desolate, uh, and make the desolate cities inhabited. The thought of increasing on the right or the left or bursting at the seams has to do with the fact that they'll be coming from every direction. It's amazing how I've talked to different churches and gone through different times where they'll do a whole series of -of out-of-town outreaches and then all of a sudden they've got visitors. They didn't even labor. They, They haven't even been passing out flyers in their own city. But all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to bring them in from other areas. The right hand, the left, unrelated to each other is the thought there. Coming in from here and there. The question I have for you is, can God do something now? But that would depend on your stakes, cords, and curtains. Many parables speak of enlargement. A sower went to sow and brought in 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I've been in churches where they're not making room for enlargement. I've seen the churches, seen Christians, it's like the bunker mentality. It's us against them. 
them dirty, filthy, rotten little sinners out there. I tell you what, you know, they're ruining this country and they're just doing that. Why is it in us against them? It should be us for them. Psalms 2 and verse 8. Only ask and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the whole earth for your possession. The New Testament promises that we are to go and preach the gospel in all the world. All the world. I have had great privileges of preaching in over 30 countries. I can tell you this. Nations and cultures are not the same. But people are. They're sinners who need forgiveness. They may have different habits and customs. And I've mentioned before, I've preached Saturday morning because that was their... I preached Friday morning in Muslim countries because that's their day they can have two services. To the small-minded Westerner, that's like, well, that's, you, can't, you can't have church on Friday morning. Have church when they can come. And if Friday's their day off, then why do it on Sunday if they consider it a work day? The nations, Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Do you have a vision for the nations? Do you pray for nations? I've, I desperately burden for nations. Prayer, missionaries, lifting them up. You know, when, one thing that I love about this area is how the diversity and the nations that are here. Mating people from all over the world. I love it. You know, as I was telling some people yesterday, you know, the Chinese and the Italians both have done wonderful things with pasta. Different things, but both wonderful. Different cultures. Very precious Think about nations, what God could do, the people God could touch. I can tell you that when I did preach in Abu Dhabi, I found it worse than Las Vegas, uncorked and deprived, but precious people there. I experienced one of the weirdest miracles I've ever experienced. Young kid, I I don't know if I've shared this before, but he broke his finger. I know I've told people this, but I don't know if I preached. He broke his finger. And he came. It was Friday night. I was leaving Saturday morning. I had just done a Thursday night, Friday, three services there. On the way after, actually, I had just preached for Pastor Jeff Day in Zambia, and I was flying through, and I was able to just take a moment there. And he had broke his finger at work. He had worked during the, between the services, broke his finger. He had a choice of going to the hospital or going to church. But because I had preached on the rapture before and he realized he wasn't right with God, he was scared to death, so he came to church. 
He said, I've got to get my heart right, and then I'll go to the hospital. So he can't, I'm not making this up. He comes, and his finger's bent in an unnatural way. I mean, it is broken. It is, it is, he dropped a pallet on it. So I said, let's pray. And so I took his finger very gently in my, my hand, and I prayed for it. And I felt the bone go back into place. I felt it under his skin. I'm like, give me the eebie-jeebies. You know, it's like, whoa, that's kind of weird, man. God did a miracle for him. Filipino kid. In Abu Dhabi, prayed by American, gets healed. The nations. The nations of the world. You may not be able to go, but you can pray. And you can realize God's brought them all here. We have a wonderful opportunity for the nations of the world. Verse 4 says, Fear not, for you shall no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. No more disgrace upon you. No more, no longer will you remember the shame of your youth or the widowhood. This has two thoughts. One is the instant. God can move in an instant. Pastor Campo tells the story of El Paso, Texas. He took over the church. It was 14 people. And for a year and a half, it was 14 people. And there were some religious people there, and there were some people sitting on the services and all that. And so finally, some people left. And within just a few weeks after they left, a young man got saved. His name was Richard. He gets saved and he brings in, starts bringing in people, that one of the families came back to check out a revival and couldn't believe how much the church had grown in just two months. What God can do in a moment of time. That's the picture of this. The second is, it wipes away the past struggles. It says in Isaiah, when he's saying, can, you, can God forget your name? Yeah, a mother won't forget the name of her child. Well, maybe she can. This is what Isaiah says. Maybe she can, but I won't. And he makes the statement that they go through all the labor and pain. And, you know, gentlemen, thank God we're men, right? Amen? You with me on childbirth? And all, right? We don't have it. But it's amazing. Right? The, you, you talk to, you, they talk about the horror stories and the, you know this and that and that was in labor for this. And then they say, let's do it again. And you're going, <laughs> that's why God made women to do that, not men. <laughs> Some say if men had to do that, there would have been one child born and the whole human race would have fallen into extinction. I actually believe that. But let's do it. Wiped away in a moment. The joy of the child... Makes them forget all the pain. Or makes it seem worth it. That's what the scripture is really saying here. In a moment, God can put away this. Genesis 21, 5 and 6. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. And all those who will uh, hear about this will laugh with me. 
says, you know what, this joy, there's something about this in a moment of time. Proverbs says it this way, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. The challenge here to the people, the children of Israel, is very interesting. If you understand a little bit of theology, and I'm just going to give you this just to think about. Isaiah 53 is all about the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53 is all about he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of the peace was upon him, the center of Christianity, the cross, Jesus Christ doing what he did. Then, right out of that, is the promise. This is a New Testament promise. And it's faith. The challenge here is it requires faith. Because he says expand it, but you're not growing at the moment of expanding. You're lengthening your cord, but you're not growing at that moment. You're strengthening the stakes, but that's not at the moment. He says, then you will burst forth. God's looking for you to do it first. There's the widow, second kings, where her, fa- her husband has died. And he wasn't real good with money. They're in debt. And he says to the widow, what do you have? And she says, I have not much. I got a little cruise of oil. She, he says, okay, get as many vessels as you can. Not just a few. Go in, shut the door, and pour the oil into all the vessels. She does that. And as soon as they say there's no more, the oil stops. Many have likened that to revival, the Holy Spirit, the preparation, prayer time going in. There's a whole number of illustrations we could take from that story. But what's fascinating about that to me is that you get the vessels first. You prepare for it. Revival is something you prepare for in your heart. David Wilkerson Tremendous man of God. Tremendous man of God. Went to New York City in the 1950s. Began to preach. Just a country pumpkin preacher who uh, began to preach the gospel to these gangs. Saw them get saved. But what was very interesting, in 1969, when the Jesus People Movement began to happen, he began to say that wasn't God. And he missed it. Later on, he admitted... That was probably one of the biggest mistakes of his ministry is he didn't believe it was going to happen. That was legit. If you don't make room, you don't see God help you. You don't see what God wants to do for you. The second issue that you see in this is the God factor. God says... I'm going to do this. You do what you need to do, and I will bring them in from the left, the right. I'll do, I'll give you the cities, nations. Desolate cities. It's almost a contradiction, isn't it? How can it be a city if it's desolate? We simply would call it like a ghost town. 
But the reality is, spiritually speaking, there's a lot of desolate cities around here. There's a lot of spiritually desolate places that need a preacher. Need God to help us. Prayer, fasting, these kinds of things get God involved, claiming the promises of God, but ultimately God has to do it. God has to visit, and God, listen to me, God is more willing to save people than many times we are to reach out to them. He died for them. He wants to touch them. He wants to help them. That's the promise. That's the gospel. And finally, to quote an old dead rocker, the waiting is the hardest part. When you make all the preparations, then you have to wait. Habakkuk 2, kind of an interesting chapter. Habakkuk 1, the prophet is just complaining. He's just complaining. He's just, God, why? How come this? These stinking people, this kind of problem, this all of it. All he did, he complains. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And then I sat down and I waited for God to rebuke me. And yet God gives, the Lord says this, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that the runner can carry the correct message to others. For the vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait for it patiently, for it surely will take place, and it will not delay. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. He says, you know what? If you'll simply make it simple, God's going to help you. Just wait. God's going to do it. God has to do it. That's what he says here. Bring the message to others, yes, but God has to do it. Isaiah 40 talks about waiting upon the Lord. You'll renew your strength. There's something about what God wants to do. I've shared this before, but I love this story. Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Forty, there were about 65 people. I was just thinking about this. Pastor Stevens is coming. Had about 65 people in the church. Larry Reed preached on the street. He got arrested. An old evangelist. Some people said, I can't go to a church. They get arrested. Me. Pastor doesn't know what he's doing. And they left. The church went down to about 40 people. And then... A young man got saved. His name was Mark. And his girlfriend got saved. His name was Pauline. And another man got saved. His name was John. And Mark brought a young man 
and his girlfriend, and the girlfriend got saved. Her name was Julie. A week and a half later, Julie was going to get baptized, and I went to see what was going to, and I ended up getting baptized. And then the next week, Mike got saved. And then a couple of weeks later, a young man named Tom got saved on August 16th. The end of a Paul Campo revival. His, what, at the time he didn't know, but his future wife would get saved the very next week. That by Super Bowl Sunday night, 40 people in June, Super Bowl Sunday night, which is always notorious because it's the unofficial holiday, 210 people were there. Like that. Paul Stevens will tell you it was probably the most incredible time of his ministry as far as growth and what God would do. He did it in a moment. Virginia Beach, Virginia, the church that Pastor Carlos Morales pastors today. Sean Gunkel and his wife were there. They were laboring. They had taken over the church. They were the fifth pastor of a handful of people. Just a handful of people. There weren't that many. Church had been around for a while. Almost closed a couple of times. Not much seemed to be happening. And in six months, the church went to over 200 people. like that what was hard is they didn't have anyone ministry qualified so they were doing everything Sean will tell you I was talking to Sean at the conference it was good to see him we were chatting about old times and and his wife Allison and my wife were friends for a long time and just haven't seen the just you know they we ended up missionaries they ended up missionaries and you know, before, you know, uh, major communications like WhatsApp and all of that, that would have been great to have when I went, first went out as a missionary. But the reality, uh, just chatting with him, and we're just reminiscing about old times during the conference, and uh, had got him at a coffee break, and we were just talking and, and all that. What God did in a moment of time. The first American, great American awakening hinged on one sermon. And it wasn't just Jonathan Edwards preaching. He had preached that sermon before in other places, including Northampton, Massachusetts. It's a very limited success. But when he preached it in Enfield, Connecticut, it sparked something. Charles Finney had preached in many other areas. He wasn't actually from Rochester. But when he came here, something sparked. Something sparked. I was reading about wildfires, and I close with this. Especially after the smoke that we had from Canada. 
I think Rich Chuck had said, you know, when we go there, we've got to make sure we get smoke-free rooms. But anyway, I thought that was great. <laughs> I like his humor. But anyway, I know my wife and Cobra just sighed. But anyway, it's <laughs> reading about it. And that things will build up in the forest, especially where there's no in, in, uh, large parts of Quebec are uninhabited and such, and things build up there, and things, there's growth and dead things and all of this, and it looks pretty, but it just takes a spark. That can be natural, a lightning strike. It can be human-made. It can be a chain hanging off a trailer that's being pulled, just scraping on the ground, sparking, and one spark catches. It can be a cigarette thrown out a window. It can be a car backfiring. Just a spark. And thousands upon thousands of acres can burn from just a spark. Revival is much the same way. It's just a spark. It's trying to rub that flint and get that spark in this area and that area and this area and that area. And you never know what's going to catch. But when it does, and it can go up quick, very quick. Thousands of acres can burn quickly. We're hundreds of miles from the fire, and yet it was shutting down airports. It was so thick. The reaching of it strengthen your stakes. Lengthen your cords. Stretch your curtains. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I preach this because I believe it. I believe it. What God can do in a moment of time. Salvation is like that. What God can do in your life in just a moment of time. A simple prayer. A surrendered heart. God coming in and touching your life. God wants to visit you. And in a moment of time, you become a Christian. It's not a process. It doesn't take lots of education or effort or you've got to study and study. And then finally, when you pass the course, it's you put your faith in God. And God does a miracle. And so maybe you're here tonight. You're not right with God. You're, saved. you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Or you're backslidden. You're away from God. You want to know Jesus Christ. I wonder if you'd very quickly slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Anyone at all, very quickly. Changing the call then to Christians. You know, when Pastor Campo was pastoring in El Paso, just a few people, he was actually pulling an altar call like this, and he began to say, I see that family out there. You're going to get saved. I see that young man out there on drugs or having problems. I see that young woman out there who's struggling with whether to have an abortion. I see them. 
God visited. God can do it in a moment of time. I'm believing God that we're going to see great things. There's cities to reach. I've listed them from Cleveland to Binghamton to Poughkeepsie that you and I could have influence and send couples to Utica, the capital, Buffalo, Erie, Pennsylvania. There's nations that are on my heart. There's influence that we could have, missionaries that we're going to send from this congregation. Desolate cities to be inhabited. God is more willing to do it. He's more excited about doing it than we are. He's just looking for us to prepare. Strengthen your stakes. Lengthen your cords. Stretch your curtains. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to just take some time, talk to God, worship His name, give Him praise. Create in me a clean heart. in me a clean heart.
Let's tell him we love him. Let's give him praise. Give him glory. Father, we love you, God. Oh, 